I appreciate the beautiful music. It spoke to my heart this morning. It's so good to see each one of you here today. I'm riding the range for Jesus. His Word is my old 44. And His Spirit dwells within, convicting me of sin. And He'll be my foreman until the roundup's end. I'm riding the range for Jesus. So saddle up and ride with me too. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms 100. The only psalm that has the introduction, a psalm of praise in it. We just finished with Thanksgiving. And this is the doxology of God's time of saying we need to be a people that are thankful. And I know that we're looking forward to Christmas coming up. And I'm very thankful for the birth of Christ and everything that's involved in that. But I want us to just take a few minutes and reflect on what we have already experienced and remind ourselves of the importance of this time. I went elk hunting with my son. ended up not seeing any elk. He did. I got a sore throat. <clears throat> he did not. So I guess we both got something the other did not. And uh, we're bragging about it to each other. So you bear with me in my lozenger here. Psalms 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, and His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Father, we, we come to You and humbly ask that You might use Your Word today. What an honor and privilege it is to stand here and to share some thoughts with friends. And I pray that above all that You might use the Word to bring conviction, to bring encouragement, to bring strength, to bring warning, to bring comfort. Lord, You know the need of each heart. It's impossible for us to know. So I pray that You might use Your Word to minister to the needs. And we'll thank You. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I was sitting here as I was enjoying the music and the variety and I remembered when this church was dedicated and I was here. I watched this church being built. And as a teenager, we would oftentimes come up this way and be involved in youth groups and watch night services and attend revivals and special gatherings and picnics down on the, the fairgrounds and baseball games. But I remembered the dedication of this church. And in my mind, not only was there some great preaching and the place was packed, but it seemed like there was music that was just a blessing to the heart, even as today's was. So thank you. That brought back some good memories to me today. And to be with you today is truly an honor. I want you to notice in Psalms 99, the overall theme of Psalms 99 is God's control. And the dominating thought is His holiness. But God's control. 
And that opens up then Psalms 100. And here the matter of gladness and thankfulness. Uh, the matter of the theme of joy is uh, repeated over and over again. And it looks forward to the day when Christ is ruling and reigning. I don't know about you, but I've changed some things that I used to do that I am no longer doing, I guess, the easy way to say it. I used to always get up early and uh, watch the news and read the newspaper. My early years, when I was living in Fort Morgan, I delivered the Rocky Mountain News, so I'd get up about four o'clock, and I would read the newspapers, I would fold them, and then get out and deliver them. And on bad winter days, I would wake my dad up and say, you know, there's snow, and they've closed school, and he says, yes, I know, and you got a job to do, and, <laughs> and get with it, and so then I'd go back and fold, and finally he would get up just to make sure that I was doing my part, and would help me. But that matter of getting up early and reading the paper, I, it, it was always an early habit of mine even as an adult. But I started catching myself and find that after reading that paper, I was discouraged and depressed. There's a problem. You've got to read almost the whole thing before you find anything of encouragement. And I'd get up early on Sunday morning. I'd read the paper. The Broncos are doing bad. The Nuggets are doing bad. The economy's doing bad. Crime's up. Resources are down. By the time I got to church, I was just defeated. It took a while for me to start catching on. What I'm putting in is coming out. I need to watch what I'm feeding my soul. So I quit reading the paper. Quit watching the early news. In fact, I just catch the weather anymore and listen to what folks tell me is going on. But I find that as I spend more time in God's Word, it's affecting my outlook. It's helped me to see things in a different light, in a better light. And so, in the earlier Psalms, we find that there's a time of stress, time of tension. But yet, as we come to Psalms 100, we find that in Psalms 95, he says, let's get together and sing for the Lord's good and he's in control. Make a joyful noise. He says in 96, sing because we have a new song. The old songs, all worn out and no good. The old song says we got problems, we got difficulties, we got troubles on every hand. But we got a new song. In Psalms 97, he says, let's clap our hands with joy because in the midst of darkness and shadows, we know the Lord is ruling and reigning in control of the earth. In Psalms 98, he says, sing unto the Lord a new song for He has done great and marvelous things for us. And in Psalms 99, He says, God's going to be in control, no matter how bad things are, and to realize that that's true. And then to come to Psalms 100, He encourages us and says, this is a call of praise. Oh, how we need to be encouraged to come back and say, I'm going to see what God is doing. The word joyful noise is the word that would be used as a king would then come and be with his people on special occasions. A time when a celebrity would be gathered and people would say, here is the king. We haven't seen him for weeks, months, years. Now the king is with us. And a great shout would go up. And a great hallelujah. The king is here. The king is here. Oh, how we miss that. And to see that he's saying here, this is something that is a welcome sound from blessed people. This is not a cry of despair by people that are oppressed. 
but rather people that are blessed and say, we can serve and say, the King is with us. We know everything is going to be all right. Life is filled with difficulties, but with the King being here, we know that it's going to be good. These are pardoned people, and they have a lot to be thankful for. My wife and I have a friend that drops by and sees us often, lives in another part of the state, and we've known this person for a long, long time. We, met, we, we saw him again this last week. He came by and spent some time with us. And when he left, my wife says, you know, how long have we known so-and-so? We thought a little bit, about maybe 15, 16 years. And she says, you know, almost every time we see him, maybe twice a year, every time I can go back. He had trouble with his ears. He had trouble with his eyes. His nose was bad. His back was bad. His feet were hurting. His hair smelt. He had a bad back, you know. This was going wrong. That was going wrong. He had bugs in his trees. He had bugs in his house. He had this problem, that problem. And we went through all the different years we've listened to him, talked to him. He just had a bunch of problems. Never once in 16 years had that man ever come by and said, you know, how are you doing? I'm okay. I was afraid to ask him this time. Because I was afraid he'd tell me. And I finally did. I said, how you doing? Don't like my job? Oh, it's bad. Everybody hates me. And look at the back of my mouth. Look here. Oh, all right, all right. I got some white spots. Look. Oh. I didn't want to look. Every time. He's never had a positive word. He's never had a good word. The sun doesn't come up in his neighborhood. He has nothing to eat, surely. I mean, he's a miserable guy. But the Bible says... Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Serve the Lord with gladness. What a wonderful thing to be a believer and say the Bible is true and I believe the Bible. I believe that there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. I believe Jesus is coming back again. I believe eternity is long. And I believe Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I've been forgiven and I'm a child of God. Oh, we ought to be thankful people and say this is an important thing. Sin brings doubt. But yet Christ has paid the price of sin and we have the greatest gift of all. So we see that this is a poor man's pardon. We can't pay for it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to buy ourselves with. But yet God says, I'm giving you a gift. It's a gift and therefore we should rejoice. And he instructs us here in Psalms 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Not limited to just us, but to others. And I love your mission board. And I remember over the years, different missionaries that I've heard in this church and in Brush and in other places, great missionaries that have touched the continents of the world and have shaken them for God and shared the Scriptures with them. And because of your faithfulness, Men and women of all types of colors and nationalities one day will stand by the pearly gates and say welcome home because of your gift and your sacrifice. We can sing praise God from whom all blessings fall. You have sent somebody to tell me the story and therefore I can say welcome home brother. I just got here a little bit before you. Oh, the investment that he says, look, the whole ends of the earth should gather together and rejoice in what God has done. His greatness before us is always there. So we see that this is a call, a call to praise. I remember an old man used to teach me a song and he said, Isn't God good? 
to give us so many blessings undeserving. That's what we are. We ought to thank Him, love and praise Him a little bit today, a whole lot more tomorrow. I love that song. My mama hated it. Well, not really. Because the preacher said, ain't God good? And my mama said, isn't God good? I said, mama, the preacher said, ain't God good? And so I'm going to sing it. Oh, but God understands English but above all, He understands the intent of the heart. Are you happy today? Whose pasture are you in? If you have nothing to be thankful for, I feel sorry for you. For truly we have so much. And whether we say, isn't God good or ain't God good, He is good. And this is a call to praise Him and to say it with a cheerful heart. I want you to notice, secondly, not only is there a call for God's praise, but I want you to notice that there is a conduct that we need to perform. Notice he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. You go to the book of Luke chapter 15 and verse 29, we find that there's a young man there and he says, Have I not served you, Father? In the morning I was up milking cows. In the evening I was working the fields. I've been here faithfully working, 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 working. And you never gave me a fatted calf. You never said I could have a party. You never said take the Saturday afternoon off. You never sang a song for me, but I worked and worked and worked. I worked. That's Roper translation, Luke 15. Read it for yourself. Verse 29, the elder brother said, Did I not work, but all this time you've not done anything? He served, yes. We can say, oh boy, that's good, he served. But God says, look at his attitude. Look at his heart. It's bitter. It's angry. It's resentful. It's hateful. He served. But his heart wasn't in it. God wants us to have our heart in it. God wants us to come with joy. It's like when mom says, well, you carry out the trash and you kick over the trash can, scatter it all over the kitchen, pick up half of it, drag it across the floor and on purpose make sure it hits something to tear it. Get out the door, let the door smash half of it open, then drag the rest of it all out. Did you do your job? Yeah. Did you do it with gladness? No. <laughs> we could go on and on and think of illustrations how that oftentimes comes to our heart and our life. We tell our boss, well, I did what you told me to do, but did we do it with gladness? We tell our husband, well, I did what you said I ought to do, but did we do it with gladness? We tell our kids, did we do it with gladness? Over and over again, our relationship with people, we say, oh, well, I, I really did what I was supposed to do. I'm staying on principle. I did what I was said I'd do. But did you do it with gladness? How that makes the difference. It's the difference of throwing sand into the combine engine or putting oil in it. 
It's the difference between putting salt into a great pie or putting sugar into it. It's the difference that comes into life that says, no matter what the difficulties are, I'm going to serve it with gladness. Almost every week I get the opportunity to preach this funeral. Isn't that good? Almost every week. I'm running right about 35 a year. Who wants to get signed up next? I mean, you've never had a good funeral unless you've had my funeral. I mean, it's better than kissing a goat. I mean, these are good things. We have a lot to be thankful for. Last week I was in Platteville. An old man said, you're going to love where I'm buried at. I'm right beside Kate. He said, she's just two graves down. I said, I'm looking forward to it. He says, I am too. He said, let me tell you about Kate. He grew up in Platteville. This man was 90 years old. Kate was a little older. You can go to the Greeley Museum of History and find what I'm saying is true. I stood by Kate's graveside. October 1925 in Platteville, Colorado, just outside the city, was a little pond and a lady by the name of Kate was taking her young boy to the pond to water a horse. She stopped and unhooked the fence post, started to go in when she heard a rattlesnake and she was a wise country girl and she had with her a 22. Amen? Are you with me? Some of you are drifting away already and we're just getting started. There's 27 points in this message. We're on number two. Come on now. She shot that rattlesnake and when she did, it caused the horse to shy away and jump around, the little boy on its back. And other snakes came. She commenced the shooting and killing snakes. Some were little. Some were six inches. Some were a foot. Some were a little more. Some were a couple feet. She ended up shooting till she ran out of ammunition and she took the butt of the twenty-two and started hammering them on the head. The horse went further away. She tried to get the horse, hit more snakes, hit more snakes. After two hours, she caught up with the horse. The boy's okay. Nobody's hurt. She looks around. And Kate, newly married, but all wise in her ways, said, I can't waste this. Took the horse back to the nearest farm, borrowed a wash tub and the neighbor's friends, and they gathered up all the dead snakes, over a hundred. They took pictures of them. You can see them in the Greeley Historical Museum. She wasn't a wasteful woman, so she skinned them and saved the meat. And then with the hides of the snakes, the snake skins, she picked 50 of the best and tanned them and made a flapper dress that she would wear on occasions, two different things there in Platteville. You can see the dress. I'm not sure what size it is, but you ought to see it. So my friend that I did the funeral for, he says, I'm going to be buried just down the road from Rattlesnake Cape. And I said, what do you know about her? He said, I was a boy and she was a woman, but everybody said she was not afraid of anything and she had a cheerful spirit. He didn't know if she was a Christian. My friend was a Christian. He was a boy. She was a woman. But he said she has a cheerful spirit, not afraid of anything. Now I'm going to tell you folks something that not very many people know. We were hunting arrowheads outside of Fort Morgan and I stepped one afternoon on a rattlesnake and it scared me. And I'll be honest with you, I do not like rattlesnakes since. I don't like them. You can say that's wrong. I can't help it. I don't like rattlesnakes. I would not date a woman that had a rattlesnake dress. I wouldn't do it. Would not do it. I mean, I wouldn't be mean, but I'd just say, forget it, baby. I'm out of here. I would not do it. 
It just grosses me out. I mean, just to think about it, it gives me the goosebumps. It honestly does. But yet this woman, in spite of the things that came at her, she said, I'm going to be cheerful and not afraid. And how many of us get afraid? How many of us let little circumstances come along and we get all filled with gloom and gloom and difficulty and we get to shaking and fearful? Don't we know that we're in His pasture? Don't you know you're His sheep? Don't you know that you're His child? Don't you know that He's the altogether lovely? He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. He holds all the world in His hands and He can take care of your little problems. Yet we all get this sad and silly feeling all molly grub about, oh, how things are so terrible, and we go around. We're the worst advertisement for the grace of God. We are. We need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, if that's what a Christian looks like, no wonder we're struggling. We all look like we've been sucking on a persimmon. We look like we've been dilled in dill pickle juice. I mean, we need to say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He's living. Some of us act like we just visited the grave of our Savior and He's still there. Shame on you. We need to say, I can be serious, but I can also be happy and content and know the Lord's good. I can sit with people that are dying and say, look, I know you're going to the other side. It's a sad time, but yet it's also a joyous time. It's a thrill to be able to say, I'm stepping into eternity. And time and time again, I've seen people that love the Lord take those final steps and I could write a book. And I've also seen those that did not know the Lord and suddenly the grab of eternity starts to grab a hold of them and they say, oh, hold me, hold my hand. I feel like I'm slipping. Help me! Oh, they cannot reach out and take a hold of that one who is the nail-pierced hand. He says, we are His people. We need to serve with gladness and say He is living. I want you to quickly notice that verse 3, we see the calmness of his pasture. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's the responsibility of the shepherd, his duty to protect. It's not the sheep's responsibility to protect themselves, it's his duty. I got a job a couple summers down in the San Luis Valley herding sheep. All oh, the lessons I learned as I stayed with those farmers and worked with those sheep. The farmer gave me, when I first showed up, a shovel. And I said, what's this for? He says, you're herding sheep. Here's a shovel. You're going to be working irrigation. And he explained irrigation to me. Then he gave me a pair of fence pliers that stick these in your pocket. I said, no, I'm herding sheep. Everybody knows you just sit and play your guitar, lean against the tree, and sing to the sheep. He says, no, you don't have time for guitar. Here's fence pliers. You're going to keep the fence up. And then he gave me a shotgun. Oh, we're going to go rabbit hunting. No, he said, you're going to go coyote hunting. It's your job to protect the sheep. And I inherited that summer the dumbest sheep. Dumb. They'd stick their head in the fence and think they could get through it up the fence. They'd get behind a barn or behind a tree or down in a valley and they'd get lost and they'd just stay there and bleat and cry and complain and I'd have to go get them. They'd wander out into a little pond, wouldn't know how to wander back, just stand out there up to their neck in water, crying and complaining. 
dumbest things. And then I read in the scriptures, the great prophet Isaiah looks at me and he says, Paul Roper, you're like sheep. You've gone astray. You've gone your own way. You've turned to your own wisdom and it's foolishness. Oh, God's taken your sin and placed it upon his son. About the time I'm ready to fuss at those sheep, I look up and I say, Lord, you're probably wanting to fuss at me. And he says, Paul, you're my sheep. And I knew you weren't that smart. And that's okay. And I love you anyway. And I'm going to guide you and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to feed you. And the psalmist says, Yea, after we've gone through the valley and the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Seen the reality of that. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy are God's two sheepdogs. And they kind of are nipping at your heels and saying, Keep at it. Keep at it. God's there watching you. Don't give up. You're His sheep. You're in His pasture. And therefore, we need to see this is what I need to do. It's not my job to come over here and say, I got to protect everything and plan everything. No, my job as a sheep is to come over here and to look up into the eyes of the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the coming shepherd, and say, He will lead me. I will trust Him. He will guide me. I will obey Him. He will serve me. I will fail and take what He has for me. That's my job. So oftentimes we move into God's job. We need to let Him do His, and we need to follow and be obedient. We see the calmness in the pasture when we follow what He has for us to do. I want you to notice that it's His pasture. We are sheep of His pasture. It's not the devil's pasture, but it's His pasture. John 10, he says that the good shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name, but the thief, like the devil, will come to seek, to steal, and to kill. There will be robbers. There will be those that will seek everything they can to steal your joy and to steal your peace and to steal your testimony and to do all the things that they can to destroy your influence. They will seek to do that. It's hard to comprehend why they would do that. But they do. The world is against us. The world is no friend of grace. Satan will be after you. He's like the wolf. He's like the roaring lion. He's like the thief in the night. But the Lord says, I'm going to keep you. It's my pasture. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. And we have access. They, they say that in Israel, in old times, they would make like a corral out of rocks with a wide opening maybe four feet wide. And the shepherd, after they got their sheep inside the little rocked corral, would make a fire just outside the opening and then he would sleep long ways across the opening so that if anything came in, they would have to come past the fire and over the body of the shepherd to steal the sheep. He was access. And he would sometimes then turn inward and call the sheep and speak to them and comfort them and talk to them. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. 
you know him? Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Have you talked with him? Have you shared your burdens and your fears with him? This year is about wrapped up. I never thought I'd live to be this long as a kid. Many people that knew me didn't think I would either. It's about over. It's about done. Have you done everything He wanted you to do? You're in His pasture. Have you talked to Him? Unlike the great leaders of our country, He says, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The two great commands in the Scriptures, we find the Old Testament says, Come and see. Come and see the Messiah is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then, the Gospels, He's here. Now go tell. Go tell. Go tell. Go tell. Go tell. Go tell. That wraps up the Old and New Testament simply. Come and see. He's coming. He's here. Now go tell. I've never met the President. I've never met any of them. I've never met the governor. I've never even met the mayor of my town. I work for a big company. There's 10,000 people employed in Centura. I've been there 17 years. Never met the president. Never met the vice president. I wouldn't know what they look like. They may even be sitting here and I wouldn't know it. You've got to go way, way down the chain before you come to anybody that I've ever met. But he that stepped out on the edge of nothing and spat out the seven seas and batted his eyes and commanded the worlds to come into existence is one I speak to every day. He that took a ball of nothing and wrapped it and shaped it and threw it into outer space and created the universe and then created life and took a form of mud and dirt and breathed into it a living soul and caused his name to be called Adam. I speak to him daily. He who has a plan for me. He who died for me. He who has great dreams for me. I speak to him daily. I'm in his pasture. Where are you? We are the sheep of his pasture. John 6.37 says, He that cometh unto me I will no wise cast out. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come now boldly unto the throne of grace that we might find help in time of need. There's problems. There are. We're facing some of the most difficult and challenging times and as Christians we need to get a backbone and we need to stand up and say, I'm going to be a soldier for Christ. We're in a day when I fear for young people if they do not stand and stand firmly upon the throne of God and the grace of God and the Word of God, they're going to find that they've lost their voice. And I think for our country and for the world, if you know your biblical history and you see prophecy, we know that we are getting close to the, come, the coming of Christ. 
How many minutes? I do not know. How many days or months? I do not know. Oh, it has to be close. We need to be ready. We need to be watchmen on the wall. We need to know for sure where we stand. And if you're here today without Christ, my friend, He is the only answer. In Denver, everybody has a cause. I spent a fourth of my life stuck in traffic. So I read everybody's messages. They all have them. So you see different ones. They have decals from where they visited and traveled. They have different political slogans and opinions. They have different agendas that they put on their, their bumper stickers. And I'll be honest with you. If it was not for my insurance going up higher, I think I would put it in first and then floor it. But that doesn't solve any problems. But I get frustrated when I see the blackness and the ignorance and the the stupidity of the world. And they're ahead of me. (laughs) That makes it even worse. Just get out of my way. I mean, how can an idiot like you be ahead of me? But that's another story for another time. But we need to be living testimonies of the fact that we have experienced and understand and have participated in the grace of God. Realize that He's there. Realize that our time is now. I find that as I talk with people, there's oftentimes three kinds of people. There's the children of yesterday. All they want to do is talk about, let me tell you, when I was a boy your age, why, we had to walk to school uphill both ways. I know, I did too. (laughs) They live in yesterday. That's all they can talk about. They can't talk about what's happening now or the future, but it's yesterday. For them, they say, let's talk about history. Oh, and they'll rattle on and on. And then I say, can I tell you some of my favorite history? By now they're wore out. They're winded. Their kids have not wanted to hear these stories because they've heard them dozens and dozens of times. And so now to tell it again, they've, they've exhausted themselves. And catching their breath, they say, I guess... I guess you can. And I say the greatest history is his story. And I tell him the story of Jesus. The second group of people are people that are present children. In my mind, I think of them as that. They have no knowledge of history. That doesn't catch them. That doesn't empower them. They don't have any understanding about that. They're just focused on the problems today, right now. They have so many big problems and difficulties right now. That's all they can see. They don't know about tomorrow. They don't know about next week, but it's just right now they're focused. And after I listen to them, and so oftentimes there's so many. Thank you for sharing. But can I share with you one thought? In the midst of all of this, there is somebody that is able to untangle all the problems 
to unweave all the knots and tangles of life. He's able to then put things into perspective. He's your designer. He's your creator. He wants to be your Savior. The third group I come across, maybe you've seen yourself so far, but maybe not, is the children of tomorrow. They have no knowledge of yesterday. They have no knowledge about the problems and where they are today. Though they're in visionaries way off somewhere far, far away I'm going to play NBA. And that's why I throw this basketball all the time. I'm going to become a great basketball star. I'm going to put on my makeup and I'm going to be a model. One day, far, far away, they're living so far in the future, they don't know how to connect the dots. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're focused on tomorrow and you're missing today. Maybe you're focusing on the wonderful joys of yesterday and you're missing today. But right now is God's gift for you. And the Scripture says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the time. We can't deal with yesterday's failures or successes and we cannot hold on to tomorrow's promises. But right now, what will you do with Jesus? That's a decision you must make. That decision is oftentimes seen here as he says, For the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting and His truth to all generations. And while His mercy is everlasting and while His truth is enduring to all generations, you do not have all of eternity to make up your mind. Thursday, I got called to a home of a 24-year-old young lady. She won't wake up. The weekend before, she was drinking with her sister in her sister's home and she fell into a drunken stupor on Sunday. And now Thursday, she's still on the couch and she won't wake up. 24. She goes to the hospital. She has acute liver cancer. She's non-responsive. The doctor puts her on feeding tubes and ventilator because her mind is now slipping where she can't even remember how to breathe. And the sister says, I'm so glad that a clergyman is here because she really wanted to do something religious one day. What she needs was not a clergyman. What she needed was the Savior and she needed him before she was non-responsive. But she kept thinking, I have all the time in the world. I can wait. I can party. I can do anything I want to because I got all the time in the world. I'm 24 years old. You don't die of liver cancer when you're 24. You're not hooked on life support when you're 24. You're not taken to the hospital and they don't even know what to do with you because you're beyond repair, because you've poisoned yourself. But it happens time and time again. 
I go to the nursing home, and there's a young man that is in his 30s. He's in a wheelchair. He cannot feed himself. He can't dress himself. He's strong and handsome in the face and has broad shoulders. But he liked to live fast and thought he could outrun his parents. So he moved out early and he bought a motorcycle and he thought he could outrun his boss and he'd cheat around on his job and got fired. And he had problems, so he thought he could drown them. And on a motorcycle with too much alcohol, he came to the wrong end. Now paralyzed from the neck down, you look in his eyes and they're pleading. He needs help, but he can't talk. He can't move a finger. He's in his 30s. Strong body. He could snap me like that if his body worked. Strong guy. But paralyzed. He can't say anything. His eyes blink at you at the pleadingness. And I said to you, understand me, I want you to blink twice. Blink twice. You want me to tell you about the one who loves you? Blink twice. Blink twice. Tell him the old, old story. Tell him that story about that one who came and was born of a virgin, took his sins upon him, who was innocent and died on the cross for his sins. Oh, my friend, don't wait. Whose pasture are you in? His mercy is everlasting. But the opportunity you have is fleeting. It's not everlasting. The great songwriter said, When I come to the edge of eternity, near to the land of light, what joy it will be there my Savior to see as heaven unfolds in my sight. All life's sorrows are gone. With heaven so near, I have nothing to fear. As in Jesus, I safely am secured. One last one. She served as a missionary and came home, got sick. She was in one of our hospices that I serve. I serve children's hospital. I have 32 terminal children that I see in their home. I serve two other hospices and see people in their homes or in hospices. This little lady said she didn't need to see a chaplain. But the nurse said, I think you need to see her. I thought the nurse meant that the patient needed me. After I met her, I needed her. She shared with me the stories of being a missionary and of the privilege she had with her and her husband to lead people to the Lord and to translate Scripture and to see churches established and to see her husband die on the field and to see the church blossom and grow and then start other churches and she finally came home. I sat by her bedside and let her tell me her story. We were in a fairly new hospice. It looked out onto a lawn. There was a bird feeder. But one morning, she said, I feel very strong today. Would you read Psalms 100 for me? Because it lightens my heart. And as I read Psalms 100, she scooched up on the pillow a little bit and smiled. And she said, they're doing some remodeling, aren't they? 
we'd finished the Scripture and I looked out the window. There was always talk of remodeling, but just the same to me. What do you mean? She said, that other wall, it looks like they're opening it up and they're doing it so carefully. I don't hear noise, but I can see them opening it up and they're enlarging this room. I looked and the wall was the same. A blank TV, a little bookcase. She said, I think I'd like to rest a little bit. I'm tired. I came back in a couple hours and she was still there and I called her name. She was so glad to see me. And then she said, oh look, they've made progress on their remodeling. Tell me about it, I said. That's strange. She said, they're making a garden in the next room. It's beautiful. You look out the side picture window of her room. The trees were gone. The leaves were gone. The trees were there. The grass was dry. The little waterfall they had was turned off. It was November. I said, tell me. She said, the leaves are beautiful. And what color of flowers? Oh, it's beautiful. I'm tired. Let me rest. I came back a little bit later. I said, I need to leave. Oh, it's okay, she said. Isn't it beautiful? It's almost complete. What a beautiful garden I see. Are you afraid of heaven? You need not be. It depends on whose pasture you're in. If you're His sheep, and you're in His pasture. You can enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us adore Him. If you do not know Him, oh, my friend, today is the day of salvation. Today you need to take Him as your very own. Let's pray. Father, oh, how we pray. If there's a single one here or several that have never trusted You and they do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven's their home, Lord, encourage them to come. Let us take the Word of God and show them how they can know for sure that they are Yours. Encourage us, remind us, revive us, stir us, Lord, the sin of ingratitude, the sin of lethargy, the sin of fearfulness and worry. Oh, God, convict us of that. And may we be people that are your people with praise in our heart. Speak to us, meet the needs, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.